electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. I'm producer Cameron Costa, and here's what we're talking about on today's episode. One vote into the Republican presidential primary, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race. Now he's backing Donald Trump. You don't think that one or two of these people want to be the VP? They want to be a cabinet member. They they don't want to be ostracized by the big... Apple is facing mounting regulatory and legal pressures. CNBC's Steve Kovac lays out the company's challenges ahead. It's interesting to see Microsoft kind of back at the top again and leading this innovation wave, whereas Apple is just making iPhones. And AI is changing the game for industries and for workers. AI investor, entrepreneur, and Palantir co-founder Joe Lonsdale joins us. I think you actually see by the mid to late 2020s, economic numbers showing up where productivity's gone up. Plus, it was a big weekend for Detroit. The NFL playoffs are in full swing. WashU's sports director Patrick Risch says the Lions win means a big deal for bookies. Right now, the bookmakers are worried because Detroit keeps winning and everybody that's a casual fan is betting the Lions. It's Monday, January 22nd, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, and we were just saying nothing can make you miss Times Square like being really far away and really cold. We are glad to be back. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and here we are, fellas. Is it the canyons? It's not quite like... The mountains of New right. York. It's not quite like... Different vistas. Not quite like hitting your head against a wall, because it feels so good when you stop. We like Davos. We like Davos to grind. We that, like coming home. That six hours yeah. is, uh, you know. Six hour difference. Yeah, about. you don't know where you, you don't know whether you're coming or going half the time. We talk enough about that, by the way, about why right. Davos. I think for a lot of people who go there, it, they're like it's like an out-of-body experience for a couple of days because they're <laughs> you're they're all jet lagged in a they're haze, all running around like crazy. But you're definitely in kind of a haze, and yeah. you're going to bed and going. You know, I'm going. What time is it? It's 5 p.m. home, and I'm going back home. and I'm going to bed. Yeah. And then you get back, and I almost couldn't sleep when I got back. I couldn't sleep when I got back. In the morning, yeah. which was good, because I know what was, what was coming on Monday. Right. I was it not, makes for right. no fun for any of us. Anyway, Andrew? Meantime, I'll bring you an update on the 2024 presidential race, because a uh, big thing changed over the weekend. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropping out yesterday and endorsing frontrunner Donald Trump. The announcement coming just two days before the New Hampshire primary in a social media post, DeSantis said he can't ask his supporters to volunteer their time and resources if he doesn't have a clear path to victory. He also took a shot at the remaining challenger to Trump. We can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology, are over. Meantime, Bloomberg reporting that uh, the Wall Street billionaire uh, Stanley Druckenmiller and uh, well, the, uh, I should say billionaires Henry Kravis, Ken Langone, 
Cliff Asnes, our co-hosting a fundraiser for Haley. That's going to happen on January 30th in New York City. So we'll see whether she can build up enough of a war chest to build uh, enough momentum to take on Trump. It's funny. Uh, they ask former President Trump, what about the Ron DeSanctimonious nickname? He goes, that's been retired. <laughs> that's gone. And it just shows you how this is all, all one, right. one big thing. SNL went to Ron Stupid, if you saw that Ron. on Saturday night. You know, the, I didn't think the DeSanctimonious was, was that good, but like we tried early on to get him on again and again and again. Well, you talked about again and again. Really, Ron? How'd that work? Where were you? Don't want to. You want to be president, but you don't want to talk to, to, the to people and it's, talk it's, to the public. It's a bizarre situation. But, but with the way you know now suddenly <laughs> endorsing Donald Trump. Well, you, you, were, you were on The Simpsons, remember? Yep. So there was a Simpsons episode where Ann Coulter and Al Sharpton were screaming at each other on this talk show. And the minute the cameras go off, they go, Al Sharpton goes, hey, Ann, where are we going to dinner tonight? They go, what? You really got me? High five each other, and they head out of the studio together, heading to some place for cocktail. That's the way it well, seems like this all, either, all worked. You don't think that one or two of these people want to be the VP? They want to be a cabinet member. Or they, they don't want to be ostracized by the right. bank. That's all this is. That's all this is. But when you go from just almost pure vitriol vile and, and saying, vitriol and yeah. hatred to, to but that's yep. how sick it is. But that's part of the reason that that's why the trust the the public think this is so cynical. They right. trust and they should be. They don't they trust the should. Beyond. Right. And this goes to the Alex Carp thing. People say stuff that they don't believe. Right. And everybody right. knows it. I have, do you know how many times on this show in the past five years I've said virtue signaling? Yes, but I believe it. <laughs> you what? That's, you believe there is virtue no, signaling? No, I believe what I'm saying. That's the <laughs> difference. Well, you're different than everybody else. Then. Uh, I do. And I do say things that I believe, and then I get in trouble. The journal is not going to get the VP position or a cabinet. Uh, this, is the, this, this is the last paragraph uh, of the op-ed page on the 2024 Republican choice. If Republicans do, in fact, nominate Mr. Trump again, it's democracy, the worst system except for all the others. Uh, but our unhappy guess is that sooner or later, the choice of nominating Mr. Trump will end in tears for his voters. So. They are not going to. Uh, they're not going to jump on the yep. bandwagon. We'll see. Between now and, and November, doesn't sound like. Um, doesn't sound like they will. And Druckenmiller and who else? Langone, Druckenmiller, Langone, Kravis. Well, I don't think they're jumping on the bandwagon. Question is, what happens if if she doesn't perform well right. in New Hampshire? And and when she finally, if she can you? I mean, you've heard what Trump has said about her recently. So if she finally drops out and endorses Trump, are they going to be hugging? Well, that can't. Yes, you're right. At some point, I mean, now he's now she's going after the age, his age. Well, Well, after some confusion over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he was confusing. Oh, I'm not. No, I I know you're not. So you never, you never would. But that was that was It was bad enough when he congratulated the state of Kansas when the Chiefs won. That was one thing. But, but now he's confusing Nancy Pelosi. With Nikki Haley. Yeah, Look, almost as I, if, I you know, I, it's just a symbol of someone I'm really, really mad about. And I got the same mad That's feeling. Yeah, I'm saying mad, <laughs> mad feeling about this woman and that woman. And they're just all interchangeable. Got brown hair. <laughs> 
ExxonMobil is suing two sustainable investment firms. It's trying to block them from putting forward a shareholder proposal that would commit the energy giant to further curbing its greenhouse gas emissions and target its customers' emissions as well. Exxon says that the two investors, Arjuna Capital and Follow This, became shareholders only to advance proposals that would diminish its existing business or put it out of business entirely. In fact, they call this company, uh, they call these activists masquerading as investors. If you look at how they buy their shares, they ask people to donate money so that they can buy these shares and then they move along with them. Exxon's point is not that they should never get a chance to air these things, but they have brought these proposals again and again and have lost overwhelmingly. In some cases, 80, 85% of the shareholders voted against them. In some cases, 72% voted against these issues. They say that it takes a lot of of time and energy from the company. And by the way, this is, I don't know if you remember last year at Davos when we were talking to CEOs and they were worried about the new, it was this last year or the year before, when they were worried about the new proposal from the SEC that would make it much easier for minority investors right. to get proxy, uh, get, get their proposals on the proxy. It takes up a lot of time and energy from these companies. And I don't think they're saying you can't ever do this, but corporate gadflies um, have risen to all kinds of new prom prominence, including activists who really don't want to see the company succeed. And I think that's their point here. In Exxon produce, I mean, they, they may transition down the road, but they do. They're in the business of producing fossil fuels. I mean, I wouldn't want ESG activists lobbying the big three to make only EVs, because we know how that would go. Yeah, and their, their concern point. is it's not healthy for shareholders at large. It's not healthy for the employees at large. Um, what happens if it's really cold? Did you read that? Parking lots of of stalled oh, the batteries, EVs. battery cars. Yep. Yeah. There's what temperature and and how does it happen to every single car or is it just a fluke or do you know if it's ten degrees? I don't know. And you're trying to charge. I don't know. I, Can I you think, charge? Look, there are differences. I've I've seen a lot of activity and and things showing you how to better charge it. You need to make sure that you have like the right charging. It's got to be like a 120 instead of a 220 or something in terms of the voltage that you're putting out on it. That helps. Um, well, anecdotally, there's, there's a guy who said, I was here yesterday yeah. for three hours. I had to get a ride home. Now I'm back That's today true. trying to get it moved. That's true. The, the charge doesn't hold us. I would be, my head would be. Exploding. Wouldn't it? If that happened. Apple under attack on several uh, fronts, regulatory, legal, and antitrust. And Steve Kovac uh, joins us more. Um, it's an important stock, Steve. Yeah, we're, and we're, we're only three weeks into the year, and these just regulatory and legal pylons just keep happening for Apple. Uh, and they're putting some restrictions on Apple's ecosystem. But more telling than that is how Apple responds to all these regulations and legal cases and tries to water them down. Let me give you a couple examples that have been happening over the last several days. You had the Supreme Court, which declined to hear the Epic Games lawsuit. Now, Apple won that case mostly, except for one count, and it's now legally required to let apps offer discounts discounts by sending users to a separate website in order to make their payments. Now, that would normally get a 30% uh, fee to Apple, but Apple found a way around it, and it's still going to charge 27%, just a 3% discount. And some other things going on recently, a concession from Apple, actually. Apple offered in the EU to let third parties have access to its wallet app. That means PayPal and other payment services can get in there as well. And another concession just last week, they're going to sell the Apple Watch here in the United States 
states without that blood oxygen sensor in order to comply with the import ban over that dis patent dispute we've been talking about for the last several weeks. But we're still waiting to see how Apple responds to the EU's Digital Markets Act, which is going to go into effect uh, it later this year and goes directly after Apple's lucrative app store and other core services. So that's going to be the big one to see if they can skirt around it the same way they've been kind of able to skirt around these other smaller cases that have been hitting them in recent days. It's it's a lot piling on here. It's in general, the uh, S&P's at a new high, obviously. Yeah. So it's got to go along. So I thought my m machine might be broken. You know what Apple's uh, market cap is right now? 2.7? 2.961. Okay, so it's getting close to... Do you know what Microsoft is this morning? What? Three? No. 2.961. They're literally the same. They're literally... I wouldn't say... This is a point where you can't say exactly the same because one is 2. Point, actually, maybe I can't see. 2.963. It may have... It, but it's changing. Right. It's, okay. I mean, it right. it's changing it right a, now. Here's a question for you. But it is. They're right at 2. Point, they're right... Next, you know, 2.96. But I'm, I'm asking Joe because I feel like Joe has his finger on the, the pulse of everything. He really does. The market. Yeah. He already pre ordered Division Pro. If you were the what? He doesn't even know what it is. <laughs> if you could buy no, either Apple or Microsoft. Yeah. But I'm telling you now that you're not allowed to sell the stock yes. for 20 years. Yeah. Okay? 20 yeah. years. Yeah. Which one are you buying? Uh, Microsoft. By Microsoft. I think most people think that way. Yeah, that's it's the bad. AI thing. So it should be Apple then. But the interesting thing with all this regulatory stuff, Apple's about to get hit where Microsoft was over 20 years ago, and they're going to have to go through this slog of regulatory stuff that Microsoft has mostly evaded. There's some stuff around OpenAI right. that they're dealing with. So it's interesting to see Microsoft kind of back at the top again and leading this yeah, innovation wave, whereas Apple is just making but do you think that do you think there's, I mean, Jim Breyer no. is saying that there's a trillion dollars of value in Microsoft that's just AI, just that's AI. just waiting to be unlocked. No, it's the, well, I don't know if it's, if, I don't even know. It, yes, wait, it has to be unlocked to actually get to that right. value at this point. Whereas yeah. actually, I think there's almost no AI valuation built into oh, Apple definitely not. at all. Definitely but not. What, what has been the wrap on Apple for what is what kind of company? It's a gadget maker. It's a That's consumer. All, it's, it's a yeah. gadget maker. In Microsoft, you don't think of it that way. You think of it as much more, you know. It, it, it's the layer. They're building this But Apple's more, layer so much more everything. than a gadget maker. And the services and right. the ecosystem and everything. Of course, Microsoft has Microsoft a pretty good ecosystem. Yeah, has a pretty good ecosystem. They do. And it's going to get more dynamic with this, the AI tools that they're actually selling. And they're selling it to consumers now. They've really opened it up. They're the only ones doing it. I think if I can't sell it for 20 years, I'm thinking about what the hell I'm going to buy with it, 20 <laughs> diapers or something. I mean, there's not going to be a lot I'm uh, probably doing. But well, that, where, where will you be in 20 years? I will be right here. We're still here? Yeah. Right here, just for Andrew, just to keep him honest. <laughs> Thank you. Above ground. He's never retiring, Andrew. That's what he said. No. I've slab, been. baby. <laughs> On a slab. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the rising importance of chips in the AI craze. The infrastructure of chips is critical to make this work. If you can make chips commoditized, that means the rest of us are going to be all very well off. We'll chat with Palantir co-founder and tech entrepreneur Joe Lonsdale about the intersection of productivity, wealth creation, and technology. We'll be right back. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Don't give it to you. How about that? 
That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're back in New York and we're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. AI taking center stage last week at the World Economic Forum in Davos alongside discussions of global conflicts, including the Russia-Ukraine war and the Israel-Hamas war. Join us right now to discuss the intersection of geopolitics and technology. Joe Lonsdale is here, founding partner of 8VC, uh, which is a backed defense tech companies like Andrel and uh, Epirus. He's also co-founder, of course, of Palantir and co-founder of a self-described free speech university in Austin, which I want to talk to you about. But I want to ask you, I want to start with just an AI question. Mm-hmm. Everybody was going, you know, AI crazy in Davos. And the thing that I can't figure out is whether AI is going to be so pervasive that it becomes sort of a commoditized feature of basically every piece of software that everybody has, or whether it's actually going to be a st- going to ultimately create new standalone products that create new value. Meaning, you look at some of these, if it's, if it's just going to be a feature of everything, then the question is how much more value is it creating in, these, in, in the companies that either already exist or the new companies. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, you know, AI, Andrew, is going to be something that impacts productivity. That's what really matters here, right? At the end of the day, what are we all doing with these markets, with these businesses? You want to create more with less. You want right. to create more prosperity for society. When you have something like electricity, I mean, it takes decades to work its way through everything, right? Electricity, I think 30 years in, you finally had factories designed to use electricity. But, but even, the, even in the first decade, it did a lot of other things. Right. AI right now, it's going after a lot of areas. We're seeing already how it could raise the margins, how it could address things. There's lots of service areas of the economy. I'll give you one example. Healthcare billing is a 280 billion revenue area, 280 billion revenue area. And we're already seeing how AI is probably gonna be able to double the margins in that area, which basically means you pull $100 billion of spend out of the economy. That's, that's new wealth that creates right. through productivity. There's, there's probably gonna be trillions of dollars of that the next five years. You think in the next five years that that happens? I think you actually see by the mid to late 2020s, like economic numbers showing up where productivity has gone up. Do you think though, you know, you look, I was thinking Con Ed, which is electricity in New York, it's not, been a, it's not, not a great high flyer of a, a stock because at some point it does become commoditized. So is, it, is there like a period right now which is like a renaissance and then it, it, it gets commoditized? The other thing that I worry about or think about is whether we're in 1996 or 1999 where there's just going to be too much of an over, almost overinvestment in, in this area and there's going to be a complete, a lot of collateral damage when it's over. I mean, the way markets work with new possibilities is there always is overinvestment. There's a few big platforms that emerge that are going to be extraordinarily valuable. The same way in the late 90s, you had things like Amazon born, you have Google born. Obviously, those would have been really good bets. You have a lot of other things that there's too much hype. But then basically, you have these infrastructure for AI that makes a lot of money because two or three or five things emerge as winners there. Right. And then the whole economy benefits. If productivity goes up as much as it looks like it's going to do, that makes money for every one of us. And that's a good thing for the whole society. Do you think there's more value in the software piece 
or the hardware piece. One of the things that I think has been fascinating to hear, people were talking about it actually in Davos, is Sam Altman, who was there from OpenAI, clearly has been looking around to try to raise money to actually start manufacturing chips. In the, in the old world, chips were never considered a valuable thing to do. And by the way, maybe in 10 years from now, there'll be an overabundance of chips and nobody will care about chips anymore. But for the next five or 10 years, it seems like you know, you, people won't be able to get enough of them. There, the infrastructure of chips is critical to make this work. If you can make a com chips commoditized, that means the rest of us are gonna be all very well off because you're gonna be applying it to the whole economy. I mean, the most money is gonna be made, frankly, for the S&P 500, for the big companies that are more productive overall. That's where the real money gets made if this works, but we need the chips to do that. I mean, Sam's thinking, how can I apply this technology? How do we scale it? There's a scarcity of, of, of chips, so it's really smart to do. In the defense world, how do you think it fundamentally changes things? I mean, we were talking to your uh, co-founder, uh, Alex Karp, about sort of how AI is gonna impact his business. He's leveraging ChatGPT and some of these other uh, large language models as well. So the question is, do you have to create your own model? Is it really just about taking somebody else's model and applying it to what you're doing? Well, it was really cool. I guess OpenAI opened up to defense now. But listen, in the defense world, software is becoming more important. AI makes software determinative in defense. We already have all these new companies needed in defense because the old big primes, the big legacy defense contractors, they're really good at hardware. They're pretty bad at software. Thanks to AI, you now desperately need all the new companies in defense because there's a bigger gap there. What, is, what does that mean, determinant? Like determine it means who you're going to go means after? That, or you mean determining what, what lines you kind of follow? It means determining like what technologies are dominant in warfare, right? So if you if if you have AI being as good as it is now, suddenly uh, it really, really matters to have the best software. If you're gonna be doing, like, you, you wanna get a certain amount of money for a certain amount of outcome, right? So if you're gonna be building a thousand small autonomous drones for some kind of battle scenario, if you have AI, you desperately are gonna need the best software companies involved in that, otherwise you're gonna lose that battle. You're gonna, you're gonna not be deploying it correctly. Hey, Joe, I know that, I think you think Bitcoin is real, right? Um, my question now is it, you know, it's become mainstream to the point of ETFs. I think it's be harder to go higher quickly now. Unlike, uh, it was supposed to be that everyone can get in now and that all the ETF companies are gonna need to buy Bitcoin to put it in the ETFs. To me, it's like, if you bought it at $800 or $8,000, you were smart, you went through a lot of trouble to buy it. Now everyone can buy it. I think it's going to be here for a while. There's not going to be a whole new financial story driving it from the, from, the, from the side of buyers necessarily, although there's one type of buyer that could be very important here. AI agents are going to start doing a lot of things in our economy. And for AI agents to coordinate with incentive systems, yeah. right. you're probably going to use crypto. And so if this AI story works out in certain consumer areas, so especially, and then tokenizes so everything. To, to AI, yeah. yeah. Do, yeah. do you, you know, Kathy Wood, 500,000, a million, and that's year. I, that I big, can't believe any. Yeah, for for. But, for is, that, but is it? But they're not going to be track trading Bitcoin. They might be using Ethereum. They might be using Solana. They, they might be using other other things right. that they can tokenize. Those are the three. Those are the three they might use, and they're probably all correlated at the end of the day. And you know, I mean, the five hundred thousand story for me, Joe, is more about is more about the macro question. Are we going to be in a massive deficit in twenty five and twenty six and spending money willy nilly irresponsibly? If so, what asset's safe? I mean, if you have inflation come up again, you have bonds sell off again with, with, with crazy government spending, that's a story I've been hearing a lot from a lot of my friends who know macro better than me. You could see crypto do very well. Yeah, we're not going from 100% debt to GDP back down to 30 just by waving a magic right. wand, are yeah. we? How are we going to do that? Well, got I mean, to devalue. you, you got to fire a lot of people. That's a whole other question. <laughs> um, I know we're running out of time, but I want to talk about this new university that you're starting. You have 100 new students that are going to start in the fall. Um, it really is about free speech and free thinking. Um, I ran into Neil Ferguson uh, in, in Davos. He's, mm -hmm. he's one of your co-founders. You're doing it with Barry Weiss. 
Of these, these 100 students, what is their worldview well, for the we, most part? I mean, we want, we, we want to have one of our top universities actually bring people together who want to be part of the solution, who want to be thinking about a future that's more optimistic. I think our culture has gotten way too negative. Our culture has gotten way too censored. You have a lot of people. It's very easy to criticize the man in the arena. Let's, let's all try to be the man in the arena. And you know, we're, not, we're doing scholarships for the first 100. They're all getting to go for free. There's going to be 10 of them that get even paid $100,000 extra scholarships. for the. We're looking for the best and brightest. We want, to have, we want to have America's elite actually be part of something that's functional. Joe, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in this morning. Next on Squawk Pod, big bets on the NFL playoff games. We'll talk about the high risk, high reward of sports betting and why the bookies might be worried. Sports business expert Patrick Risch from WashU in St. Louis. Right now, based on the numbers, you've got 10 times more dollars bet on the Lions to win the Super Bowl. So there is a huge, huge exposure for the books. that that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like how about that that's a premium banging olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a biosonic sound experience and that that's our legacy you ready to be a part of it unlock the energy of the all-electric cdx type s order now at acura.com You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sarkin. Now for a look at this weekend's uh, NFL playoff games and the betting landscape. Let's bring in Patrick Reese, director of the sports business program at uh, Washington U uh, in St. Louis. He is also the CEO of Sports Impacts in a market scale a sports business contributor. Patrick, it's good to see you. I think the, the most, not the most interesting thing, but the Super Bowl is X amount of, of betting dollars that's coming up. And then the, the playoffs are in your, there's a rule of thumb, four times the amount. And what does that come out to, $64 billion? Yeah, if you base it on last year's numbers, Joe, uh, talking to some of my sources in the industry, yeah, last year's Super Bowl, the betting was $16 billion, So, the betting on the rest of the NFL playoffs is 4x. So I think this year we're going to see, obviously, a larger volume of betting because you have now more states that have legalized betting. What's the growth? of That's what I was going to ask you. It's probably, can you just... Uh, you know, easily. I would say this. I, I would say I, I base everything on the Super Bowl. So if last year's Super Bowl was $16 billion, I think this year's Super Bowl is going to be somewhere between 20 to $25 billion gambled. So that means roughly this year we're, we're talking about $80 billion on all the other playoff games combined this past weekend. Those four games estimate around $20 billion spent on wagering for those games. And let me tell you, Joe, right now the bookmakers are worried because Detroit keeps winning and everybody that's a casual fan is betting the Lions. They looked, I didn't bet on them. And I, you know what I do, Patrick? I do a lot of money line bets, which aren't even money there. You get, you know, a lot of money, a lot of, uh, with point spreads, you don't even double your money. You know, so you gotta put a parlay on, like an under or an over, pick someone to score. It's harder. So, you know, on any given Sunday, as I used to say, if, if it's a two and a half point spread, just take the money line and at least get maybe one plus 180 or something like that. So I, I had Tampa Bay, but it could have gone. Tampa Bay did not really. That wasn't going to happen. But the other two games, it could have been either or. Buffalo could have won yesterday. Right. 
Uh, yeah, another 40, heartbreaker. Another another heartbreaker. 49ers could have lost too. 49ers could have yeah. lost. Yeah, uh, right? Another heartbreaker for Buffalo fans when a kicker misses uh. a kick. But going back to the Lions, you know, Joe, right now, based on the numbers, you've got 10 times more dollars bet on the Lions right now, the four teams left, 10 times the amount bet on them to win the Super Bowl. So there is a huge, huge exposure for the books. But part of this is it's funny how the casual sports fan is going to bet with their hearts rather than their heads. And a lot of casual sports fans love this Dan Campbell, Jared Goff redemption story. And that's why a lot of money is going down on the Lions. Well, watch his halftime interview. And he's a, he is a great coach. I mean, he was not, there wasn't the slightest bit of, uh, he just said, look, uh, do your job and we're having a lot of fun and this is not going to be a problem for us. They're, they're anything, it's all gravy for them. And Goff is like, He's never played this well, what he's playing in the last. Okay, so uh, what about streaming? The rights got to be worth more. And I, I had to laugh when I read something about how the, the Peacock stream game was the lowest, <laughs> had the lowest numbers. of the game. It was streaming. To do 23 million in streaming is the, the, the highest streaming numbers of anything ever, wasn't it? It was. And look, streaming is certainly not going anywhere because all of these leagues know that they covet the younger fan. And this is where younger fans are going. Joe, when I when I talk to my students later on this morning in class at Wash U, these kids, some of them have never had cable. Most of them are, are cord nevers. Their parents may be cord cutters. And this is where people are going. So you've got to reach people. You still have to have linear because there are obviously plenty of people that still want to consume it that way. But you have to go where people are, where the consumer is. So we've seen soccer do this with Apple and their massive deal. We're now seeing Amazon try to throw a life raft to Diamond Sports Group in that particular bankruptcy ruling. Absolutely, you're going to see more of this in the future in the NFL and in most sports. Yeah, the, the future looks really bright for, for the NFL. You, you combine the streaming revenue. Uh, with, what, 25%, 30% increase in gambling revenue. That's those people that put money down, they're going to watch. So you can, I don't think you can do a 25% increase in viewership, but certainly makes a lot more people want to watch. And you, now people are betting intra-game on things happening too, Patrick, right? Yeah, well, that speaks to the technology. Technology has infiltrated every aspect of life, every industry, including gambling. And when you have these in-game bets... This is something where people can bet on the fly. So when we watch these games next weekend, there are going to be lines not just before the game, but during the game. Every quarter, there's a point spread on who's going to score, who's going to win that quarter, who's going to win that half. And these are exotic bets that, again, increases engagement and boosts the business, both for the league, the teams, and obviously the gambling companies. One other uh, financial nugget, Joe, for the, the games coming up this weekend. Yep. Secondary ticket prices. Right now, the lowest buy-in for the San Francisco game is 800. The lowest buy-in in Baltimore is 650. The highest price ticket right now in San Francisco, 12,000. In Baltimore, 8,000. So obviously, the Bay Area very affluent. Not surprising that those prices are higher than what we're seeing in Baltimore. Thank you, Patrick. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. In today's episode, you might have heard Joe, Becky, and Andrew refer back to their week in Davos. The highlights of their conversations all live on your podcast feed, including an interview with Palantir co-founder and CEO, Alex Karp. People want to talk about rebuilding trust, the elite. No one trusts the elite. Yes, but how could you trust the elite if everything you're saying is a half-truth at best? 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Lorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC starting at 6 a.m. Eastern. You can find the best of that TV broadcast right here on Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.